Hello and welcome to the Praise Center Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com. You'd open your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 2. We will pick it up in verse 11 in just a moment. We are continuing our study in the book of uh, 1 Samuel, the first part of 1 Samuel, uh, and we're titling the series, When Things Go Wrong, because in this first uh, several chapters of 1 Samuel, there's one thing after another that seems to go wrong. But don't you know when something's going wrong, God always has a solution for it. And uh, so today we're going to, uh, the thing that's gone wrong in this particular text today is there's a priest by the name of Eli and his sons have gone off the rails. I mean, they are, they're, in, they're a mess. They are a big mess. And so uh, we're going to, this passage becomes a study in contrast between these wicked sons of Eli and the boy Samuel, who we were introduced to two weeks ago before uh, Gary and Paula were here last week. But we talked about this young boy whose mother dedicated and devoted him to the Lord, Hannah. And uh, so he becomes this contrast to these wicked sons of of Eli, and uh, but so uh, and it's interesting. You think about uh, Eli raising his own sons, and we don't know all the details of why they turned out the way they did. But I really think this is an opportunity for Eli to get a second chance, really, and and doing a better job and raising a young boy who becomes like a son to him. So I love there's a chance for redemption uh, in this story for Eli. Well. Uh, let's pick it up in our text, starting in verse 11, which we actually read two weeks ago to conclude, but let's pick it back up again so we're up to date. The, then Elkanah, that was the father, uh, birth father of Samuel, went home to Ramah, but the boy, that's Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. Verse 12, Eli's sons were scoundrels. I love that. And uh, <laughs> great, great word there. But they had no regard for the Lord. Now it was the practice of the priests that when, uh, whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. And whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This was all legit. This is what the law was allowing for. So a lot of times we hear about all these sacrifices. Well, part of the sacrifices that people would bring were, was food for the priests. As they did their service for the Lord, they, they uh, were able to be uh, fed from the, some of the sacrifice. Some of them were burnt up completely, but some of them went like this. And so uh, uh, this is how they treated all the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, and that was part of the law as well, the priest's servant would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you. He wants to have barbecue, not uh, roast here. And <laughs> anyway, but only raw. And if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first, then take whatever you want. The servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I'll take it by force. And the sin of these young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. But Samuel, I love, here we come with that contrast immediately. This is the way those guys were acting now. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord, a boy wearing a linen ephod. Each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah. She gave birth to three sons and two daughters. Meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. And so again, we're seeing a progression in Samuel's life. Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing, to all Israel, and how they slept with women, the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. 
So he said to them, why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spreading among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against the Lord, who will intercede for them? By the way, there is an answer to that question. It comes when Jesus shows up on the scene, and He does come and intercedes for us by dying on the uh, cross, shedding His blood for us. And if we believe in Him, He will intercede for us. So there's a, there's a you know, even though He didn't have the answer then, we have it now. But uh, anyway, His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke. For it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature in favor with the Lord and with people. Again, we see another step up in Samuel's life, a progression going on here. So let's uh, just move right into praying. God, we thank you for uh, your word today. We thank you for the truths that we can learn. We thank you that these stories that are in the, even in the Old Testament are not simply stories, but God, they're, they're there with purpose. And you said that these things uh, are there for examples to us. And so they become a testament to us of how we ought to live and how maybe we ought not to live. So God, give us wisdom. Give us uh, uh, just a fresh revelation today. May every person here walk out changed by your word at the end of this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you agree, say amen. Okay. So just to get real about it, uh, just to be honest, raising kids is, uh, well, it's challenging to say the least. I mean, it definitely has its uh, challenge to it. And, and uh, Ron and I, we used proper discipline when we, you know, and godly discipline when raising our kids. And by that, I mean, I carved a plank into a paddle and uh, we used it on their derrieres. Uh, that's biblical, by the way. Uh, it wasn't abuse. We never bruised or, or treated our children um, wickedly, but we loved them, and we did it out of love, not anger, and uh, that's the right way to do it. But, uh, but our first two kids were about two and a half years apart, and like many siblings do, they fought all the time, and, they, you, know, and you, you, you put up with just so much, and after a while, it, it changes from just doing stupid things or doing crazy things to all of a sudden, it's just flat-out disobedience. You know, they just flat-out disobey, and that's really the thing we disciplined for only was, was out-and-out rebellion disobedience. When we saw that, you know, if a kid spilled milk at the table, that wasn't a, a disciplinary item. That was like, hey, 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 you know, clean up the mess. All right, but if the kid was uh, goofing off and you told them, stop goofing off at the table, and they continued to goof off, that's rebellion. And that moves into something that needs some sort of discipline. And that's how you handle that kind of stuff. Well, anyway, so we had these two kids. They were two and a half years apart. They would fight. They, you know, you, you got, some of you guys know Andrew and Alex, and you've seen them interact. You know what we're talking about. They're just normal kids. And, and so, honestly, I, I had to administer uh, the, the piece of lumber that I <laughs> made many times with my children. You know, uh, I, I don't really know how many times, but quite often we would have to have a little session where we'd have a paddling and, and so five years passed after Alex, and then Abraham was born. And, and so um, I think as he saw his older brothers, as he got old enough to realize what was going on, and when they disobeyed and he heard us go back to the back room and he heard the sound of the paddle, I think he started registering. Very smart young man. And uh, so all of a sudden he started figuring out, oh, this is no good. <laughs> you know, I don't want anything to do with that. I don't, I don't need that at all. And he saw his older brothers getting administered to, if you get what I'm saying. Uh, that caused him great concern. And so, so uh, he, he realized, I can avoid those consequences if I just obey. And uh, Ron and I, we, we're, we're stunned by this child. I mean, seriously, I, I hardly ever remember having to discipline him. As If we would just raise our voice a little bit when he was a child, he would immediately come right into line and do, I am so glad we didn't have him first. 
or we would have thought that the other two were demon-possessed or something. We, we, we would, and we probably would have bragged to all the other parents how great of parents we were because Abraham was obviously the shining star. I mean, it's just like, we even remarked, and please, you take this with a grain of salt, tongue-in-cheek here, but we thought, this must be what Mary felt like with Jesus because he didn't, you know, he honestly, he, he really was such a compliant and great kid, and he's still a great guy. But uh, anyway, that's just kind of how our life went with raising these kids. But, but uh, I'm glad, you know, I'm glad for our children, but, you know, t- t- raising kids is tough. It's hard work. It really is. And, and, you know, they don't come with a manual. Have you noticed? That would be so sweet. If there was some kind of book you could open and figure it out, but I mean, the Bible's helpful, but really, you've got to really work at it and think things through, and not every child is the same. They're all just as different as they can be. And so, but uh, sometimes parents, they, they try to, to do a good job, but sometimes they give misinformation to their kids. They do. They, they mean to say something, and they don't realize sometimes, as a, as a young child, you hear something from your parents, and you think, oh my goodness, and you process it differently than they intended. For instance, when I was about six years old, my mom told me a story about my father. Now, I didn't grow up with my father, and I didn't know him, but I realized I had a father. And so she talked about a time that she was with him, and this is a true story. She said it was one time a butterfly landed on his arm, and uh, the butterfly landed on his arm, and he shooted away. And then all of a sudden, he started getting welts all over, and he had this, like, massive allergic reaction to this butterfly. So she tells me this as a six-year-old boy, right? So all of a sudden, I'm out playing in the park or out in the neighborhood, and, and a butterfly comes by, and, and in my little mind, that's like a swarm of bees. So I'm out there just like, wow, and I'm like freaking out and running away, you know, from this butterfly. Now I can picture it. Now I can look back, and I think other men in the neighborhood looking at this like, what kind of a child is she raising here? What's going on with this, you know, that he's out there running away from butterflies of all things? I don't even know if butterfly allergy is a thing or it was just a story. I don't really know, to be honest with you. But, uh, but it, it, sometimes in parenting, we, we think we're communicating well when we're not and uh, things get misinterpreted. Man, there's a lot of challenge. How many would say amen to that if you're a parent or a grandparent? But so, so when I look at the story of Eli, I don't really know who to blame for how these kids turned out. There's such a thing as bad parenting. There really is. How many? You know what I'm talking about. You've seen it out there. You know, uh, nothing makes me more sad than I'll go into a grocery store or another place and a mother or a father will, will just scream and yell at their child in public. That is to me like the worst, most degrading thing you can do to a child. You've got to discipline them privately. It is so hard on children to have, you know, think of the shame you're causing in their lives. Don't do that stuff publicly. That's bad parenting. That's an example of bad parenting, okay? So, yeah, deal with it, but deal with it privately, and uh, don't, don't embarrass them uh, unnecessarily like that. I understand sometimes we get freaked out a little bit, but we've got to figure out how to get things. You don't, listen, you don't have to be angry. Anger is a choice. So some of you need to hear that today. I didn't have that in my notes, but I just felt like the Holy Spirit spoke to me. Anger is a choice. And if you feel like you're just flying into a rage, that, isn't something that, you, that doesn't have to be who you are, I promise you. So, so choose. Choose right. So, so again, I don't know how or why Eli's kids turned out the way they did. Um, I've seen family, uh, families who, at least from my point of view, did a fantastic job of parenting, and their kids still go off the rails. And you think, well, what is that all about? And I guess I, guess I think this way. I think that the more biblically 
we raise them, and the better job we do as parents, the chances, or we, let's say, increase, I don't like using the word odds here because I think it's really something that God inter- intervenes with, but I think the chances are better, if you will, that the kids will turn out well, okay? Does it, yeah, I think that's kind of just common sense, but it needs to be said. I think we'll do, that. the chances of them turning out good will be greatly increased as we do a great job of parenting, and so it's worth the work, it really is. But the contrast of these sons of Eli is, is incredible. We see this progression in the life of Samuel that contradicts the things that these, boys are, these other boys are doing. And I think that this is a progression, and this is what we're going to walk through for the rest of the message. It's a progression in the life of Samuel that, uh, that, that I believe God wants to do in all of our lives from the time we're young till the time we get old. But, but even if you receive the Lord later in life, that he still wants to work this progression in you, okay? So just, just think about this with me. And if you still have your Bibles, you can see that in verse 11, it says that the boy Samuel ministered before uh, the Lord under Eli. So he, there's this idea of ministering before the Lord. Go ahead and put that on the screen up there for me, Kyle. And then the second thing we see in verse 18 is that uh, Samuel was uh, ministering before the Lord on himself, uh, on his own. You know, at first he's doing it under Eli, but now he's doing it himself. And then thirdly, we see that Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. This is like a next step kind of for him. He's, he's, uh, Eli's out of the picture, and now he's kind of moving into his own in terms of ministry and the presence, uh, feeling the presence of God. And then finally, in verse 26, we saw that Samuel continued to grow in stature and favor with the Lord and with people. So all of a sudden, he gets this place of real leadership in his life at one point. So this is amazing. So we're going to unpack this a little bit as we go through this idea piece by piece. So the first part has to do with this idea of... Of we when we're especially when we're children being uh, knowing God and knowing our, our lives with God comes as the faith of our parents or as a mentor in our lives is so we're kind of riding on their coattails you catch what I'm saying there like you, you, you this is how our kids were raised they went to church because we drug them to church they did you know they did all this stuff because we they just were on our coattails so to speak okay but we can't stay there but we're going to move on from there but let's talk about this for a minute so Samuel begins his ministry as a child doing uh, what he is told by Eli maybe not even understanding why well this is how you do, do the worship in the temple this is how it works but he's just just learning about having a relationship of his own with God, but he isn't there yet. He's just going because this is what Eli tells him to do. And again, to contrast, these sons of Eli, wicked men, uh, they're, born, they're born into ministry, so to speak. Does that make sense? These are like PKs, pastor kids, or missionary kids, missionary kids, okay? And, uh, and, and there's a stigma out there. I mean, there is. And sometimes it's rightly deserved, for sure. And I got to tell you, when, I first, when we first felt called to ministry and we began having children, that was something I would pray to God. I said, God, you know, I'll do anything you tell me to do. I'll, I'll pastor. I'll do anything you call me to do. But please, God, don't let my kids suffer at the altar of ministry that I do. I just, I just made a deal with God. I said, you've got you to gotta help us, Lord, that we don't lose our kids over this. Because I watched too many pastor couples watch their kids go off the rails. And it's, it's like, what is it? And I, but, but I want to say... You know, and I, I don't say this to say that, oh, well, Ron and I figured it out. We're all cool. But I say this with a great amount of trepidation and fear of the Lord and grace from him and say, thank God, <laughs> you know. But you can do it right. You can. You can raise your children right. And it's with God's help. And they can turn out okay. And I think the thing about our kids that astounds me is not only do they love God with all their hearts, but they still love the church. 
and they're all serving in the church in one capacity or another. So this is, this is a good thing, and it's so it, do, it tells us that it doesn't have to be that way for pastor kids, but these Eli's sons were typical pastor's kids. They show up, and, you know, dad's doing all the ministry, and they're just, who knows where mom is? I don't even know. Maybe she's not alive by now, but, but they're just off, like, thinking this is a big joke. They, aren't, they don't have a relationship of their own with the Lord at all. And so... So Eli, no doubt, seeing the fruit of these wicked sons, when Samuel comes along, thinks, man, i got to do a better job with this gift from God here. And so he must have taken more time with this little boy to teach him to minister before the Lord. And, you know, we don't want our kids and youth to just come to church. We want them to get involved. We want them doing ministry. Kyle up there is, uh, he's running our PowerPoint today. Great job, Kyle. Man, I, I appreciate it. We had, we had young men uh, like Jake here on the worship team today. Kaylee sang last Sunday. We have other people working and helping with uh, greeting with kids. Uh, most all of our kids in this church are involved. Uh, young, young men and women, uh, I mean mostly teens at this point, are involved in some kind of ministry. We want that. We desire that. We're not just trying to fill roles. We're trying to help them understand what it means to minister in the house of the Lord and to do it in the right way. And I can't say enough for the incredible job that all of our children and youth workers are doing. And in fact, uh, we're so grateful. We are having a great, big, amazing barbecue for you all. So we'll put this slide up. One more announcement for the day. But this is all about you guys who have helped us so much and blessed us. And uh, we want to just invite you to come. It's going to be on June 9th. We do need an RSVP because we're fixing a lot of good food. I shouldn't say we. Randy's fixing a lot of good food for you. And it's going to be phenomenal. So we want to just thank God for that and uh, want you to come to thank you for the investments you're making in the kids of our church. All right, you can move back to the next slide there. So... Um, so, but the, what this does when we do life right around here is it gives us opportunity for, for young men and women uh, to be set on a good path and, and most importantly, to be set on a path for eternal life. Our goal with each child, no matter what their home situation is like, and some kids come out of, you know, mess, total mess, but we want to see them progress from coming to church because their parents or someone brings them to having their own relationship with God. And that's the progression that, that we have with uh, Samuel. So now, uh, Kyle, go ahead. A couple points there to the our own relationship with God. That's where we should be. Two lines down on the next part. All right. So we're talking about our own relationship with God now. We move from uh, going to church just because we're supposed to. By the way, it's okay to do things because you're supposed to. <laughs> That's nothing wrong with that, right? It's okay. But I'm just saying, you got to get past that. If your kids aren't getting past that, and they're only coming because they're supposed to, and at some point you're not seeing a transition take place because they want to, or they want to be a part in some way, something has to happen. And you can blame the church all you want and say, well, you guys don't offer this, or you don't do that, or whatever. That's fine, and we can always work on stuff. I'm not ashamed to say it, but I will tell you, a lot of the responsibility falls on you as a parent to make church be something that they see as like, wow, i got to be there i got to do this on my own. i got to have my own relationship with God. And it, it's not just church. It's like day-to-day -day life. So that's what we're working towards. Um, so, so this is apparently where, as far as Eli's sons ever got in their ministry, they never got to this place of their own relationship with God. They just were staying in that old, old way of thinking. So their ministry becomes stale and it gets corrupted eventually. That's what will happen. If you, if you stagnate in, in your life with God and your ministry, eventually it will get corrupted. We are meant to be on an upward trajectory, up and to the right trajectory with God. Always growing, always getting better, always getting closer to Him. Do you understand? More fruit, not less fruit, right? 
So, so if you feel like you, and I'm not, listen, I'm going to be honest with you. My life has been more like this, right? More of a roller coaster. But, but if you look a year ago, it's higher than where it was last year, even though I had some dips along the way. Don't call me a dip, but I'm just saying I had some dips along the way. Okay, so, so that's the way it should be. I mean, hopefully we take out a lot of the low spots and we get a more of a straight trajectory, but that's what God wants. He wants growth for every one of us, and we need to be, I don't, to the day we die, we're growing in the Lord. We're getting closer to Him. That's the way it works. So, so the idea, I just want to get this across to us as a church, that God is always sending Samuels to us. If we'll take time to teach these children that God brings in, however they get here, if you bring them with you, if you are a parent, if you're in a neighborhood and you bring somebody, if you're a grandparent, however that works, if you bring the kids, we will take time to get these kids to move into the ways of the Lord and having a faith that is beyond the coattails of their parents or their mentors in their lives. So, so uh, that, and, and we always, almost always have had children worship with us and then we dismiss them. And, and for some churches and some other, you know, they don't do it that way and that's fine. I don't have any problem with that. But one of the reasons we do that is thoughtfully to say, look, we want our kids to experience being in the place where parents and we're all worshiping together. Right? So they see it, so it's modeled for them, okay? So that's what we're after. Oftentimes parents are concerned about telling their kids to be engaged in church or, or you know, be involved or be passionate for God. It's like, well, you know, I want them to choose for themselves with that sort of an idea. But isn't it interesting, a lot of times parents have no problem telling their kids, hey, clean your room, right? Or, or uh, take, a, take a shower, Good idea, right? Or, or do your homework or practice that instrument we just spent $5,000 on, right? We have no problem pressing our children to do these things that we feel are good for them. So we don't have any problem telling our kids, hey, do this stuff, do that. Um, but we, we seem to have this problem sometimes with really encouraging our kids. Like, like I'm just going to be real with you. Sometimes when it's worship time and it's time and the worship leader says, let's lift our hands, and maybe uh, you look around the room and, and a lot of people are lifting their hands, but the kid, you might be lifting your hands and worshiping God like crazy. Do you ever stop and just open your eyes and look over at your kid? And, and if they're not lifting their hands, if they're not responding, if they're not singing, do you, do you say, well, I shouldn't interfere in there? Oh, really? No, that's crazy. You need to talk to those kids and say, hey, hey, come on, let's lift our hands together. Make it fun. Make it exciting. This is good. We want to worship God together in this place. So this is, this is why it's important, and I want to encourage you, don't, don't listen, do not feel, because we get involved in every area of our kids' lives, but we feel like somehow we can't get involved in spiritual ways. That's a lie of the enemy. It really is. You've got to go after your kids. In fact, if there's anything that's important to do with your children, is make sure that they grow up loving the Lord. Make sure that they become worshipers of God. Make sure they go after the things of God and get involved in the house. It's all important to their lives. We have to wonder if Eli let his kids get away with everything when they were young, and now he's, there's this sin manifesting in their lives. He's trying to, trying to parent them after the fact. That's lazy parenting. We have to be proactive and ahead of the curve a bit on this stuff, and, and we see it all the time. We see it all the time. I believe one of the greatest keys to raising kids that love the Lord is for the family, the whole family, to get involved in ministry together. It doesn't have to be in the house, by the way. But maybe you go down, you, you serve meals at a, at a homeless shelter. Maybe you go and uh, do other kinds of things, but you do godly stuff together. 
as a family. That's where you will begin to see your kids really thrive and love the Lord. And you do it as a family together. And I have to say that even as we raised our three boys, they were always a part of the church. They were involved in everything they did. And of course, they all were musical. So they got on the worship team. They became all three of them lead worship in different places now and in one way or the other. And, and, and they do it with a heart that just desires to serve. And I, I tell you, it's so important. I think it was a real key for our kids turning out well. So Everybody needs to find a place to get involved in the church. And if you're not involved in the church, you just come. Uh, that's not scriptural. I'm just going to be real with you. At some point, I'm not saying when you first come, you can't have a time of just sitting. But at some point, you, you find something to get involved in. You get a ministry. He, the, God says he has arranged the members of the body. And you don't, we don't have a strict membership here like you have to sign up to be a member. You're a member if you show up and you participate, okay? The members of that's what that scripture is talking about. He says that he's arranged them as he saw fit to do so, and he says each one has to do its work. So we're all involved. It's all a a thing we need to do together. So we see this contrast again between the sons of Eli, who didn't get it. They didn't have their own relationship. Now Samuel has transitioned to having his own, and then he grows into this next step, which is growing in the presence of God. He's maturing. The text says he grew up in the presence of the Lord. The Christian life should be one of overall maturation, getting not older uh, just physically, but getting wiser and stronger in Christ. It's sad to see someone that's been with the Lord or called on the Lord for a long time, and they're just still kind of a baby in Christ. You know, they haven't moved on. We're We're made to grow and mature. Uh, We see that Samuel is not just now ministering out of rote or the fact that there's a need, but he's moving on to a place where he's excited about the presence of God. He wants to be in the presence of God. He wants it to be where he's at. This This is what vitalizes us. This is what makes us alive in Christ is when we start doing that kind of thing. I, I I don't know. I like this old movie. Uh, I guess it's an old movie now, but Back to the Future 3. How many have seen that crazy movie? All right. So so there's a scene near the end of the movie where they have to get this locomotive going uh, 88 miles an hour, which is the key, right? Get it up to 88 miles an hour so that they can push this this uh, time machine DeLorean along the tracks. It's a, kind of a comical scene. But the locomotive on its own is not normally capable of going 88 miles an hour. And so Doc goes in and invents some Presto logs. You remember this? And there's a green Presto log, a yellow Presto log, and a red Presto log. So, so Doc comes along and he says, uh, we have to put these in one at a time, green first, then yellow, then red. And uh, each one will make the locomotive go faster and faster until we achieve our goal. And so uh, they eventually do that, and it, it works out, and the, the steam locomotive is about flying apart when the red one goes in there, and it's all very exciting, and they finally get it all done. And I think in our lives, just, just to be real, this is how I see most of us walk, and I've done this many times myself. We always think about the next event in life, or we think about a certain date down the road. Well, by my next birthday, man, I'm really going to serve God. Like. Next year, next year is a big deal. It's like my 30th, or it's my 40th, or it's my 50th, or whatever. Or we think, oh, I'm going to go to this conference. I'm going to have this amazing event that I go to, this great conference, and then I'm going to change. And so we're looking for that presto log kind of experience where, where God just throws something in. And, and I'm not saying those aren't great. And, boy, we, sometimes we pick up great steam. But I'm going to tell you, if we don't stoke the fire in between times, well, all right, we're not going to get anywhere with all that. We're not. And so I'm just saying we need to definitely be people who are, are constantly, you can't stop, if you want the train to move down the track, you've got to keep stoking the fire. You've got to keep pressing. got to keep pushing. And if once in a while we get to throw in a colored presto log, praise God. All right? 
But don't, but don't think, don't live from event to event or promise to promise or, you understand what I'm saying? So that's, that's something we need to be thinking about if we want to get to this place where Samuel is getting, where he's experiencing the presence of God. He goes again from being someone who watched others minister, minister in their direction. Now he's doing ministry where the presence of God is showing up. This is awesome stuff. And one important thing to just bring out here, and, and uh, we don't have... We have a couple of our teens here today. I wish more were here to hear this. But I just want to say, he is more than likely a, still a fairly young young man at this point in his life. By the time he gets to this point, he's not, he's not all grown up yet. This guy's doing this while he is a young guy, maybe even preteen, but more than likely as a teenager. He's getting to the place where he is starting to do ministry in such a way that he's gaining respect. And that kind of brings us to our, our last point. Because here's what, what it is, is that parents, I think a lot of times what we think is when we have children, oh, I just want my kids to be successful in life, right? And that's, that's fine. I get that. But can I just say it this way? This is what I believe firmly and deeply. If you focus your children on being successful, you may get what you want out of life. You may get that for them. But you may not and probably won't get the kind of relationship with God that you really want them to have. But, it, but listen to me. If you'll focus on an intense and beautiful and wonderful relationship with God, you most certainly will end up with successful kids. Now, the success may not be what the world deems success, but they will be in good shape, trust me. You know, right? So don't, don't, don't fail to take care of, of the most important things. All right, finally, uh, this idea of growing in the favor of God and growing in the favor of people around you. I mean, this is when it really begins to take over. And, uh, and he really ends up, Samuel does, he grows up and he ends up taking over for Eli. He becomes the main priest. And, and, um, and the Bible, this is what's interesting. You, see, you hear all this stuff about priests, and you think, well, that, what does that have to do with me? But do you understand in the New Testament, the Bible says that we are all priests of God. In fact, uh, right here in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, you, this is speaking to everybody here today that knows the Lord, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We are a royal priesthood. Every one of us are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. All of us are a holy nation. We're all that. This is one reason you will never hear me use the terms in our church to talk about the people as the laity or lay people and the ministers as the reverend, okay? I get mail that says reverend on it. It just makes me want to puke right there. I just... Reverend means to revere. Listen, I'm no more honor of reverence than you are. Do you understand? There's no difference. This is, this is, these are attachments that, have, that aren't biblical but that have been added by man in these ways. Laity means basically someone who is uh, occupied with domestic or manual work distinguished from the clergy. So people use those terms all the time. Well, the lay people do this or the lay people do that. Listen, you'll never hear me talk about the lay people in this church because we're all priests. We're all ministers before God. All right. Now, I have a calling to be a pastor, and, and if you submit to that, uh, the leadership that I have, that's one thing. But I'm not your priest. You're your own priest, okay? You know, you really are. You, you can go right to God for yourself. So this is, this is biblical and, and the way it should be uh, in the church. Samuel got to this place by being consistent in ministry, loving the presence of God, 
And remember, it all started with his mother, Hannah. I love this. I'm just going to walk you through a little scriptural procession here, and then we'll, we'll finish this. But, but th- think about this in Samuel's life. Remember back in 1 Samuel 1.28, Hannah says this about him. He, she says, I give him to the Lord, and for his whole life he will be given over to the Lord. Remember that? So it all starts, listen, if you're pregnant or going to be pregnant at some point, uh, uh, you know, that, it all starts with giving your child to God right off the very start. It's so important. And then we have this promise from Scripture from Proverbs 22. It says, start children off on the way they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. Uh, and some have felt that, uh, you know, they've given their kids a correct start, but then they went off the rails still. And, uh, and only God knows for sure what the condition of their soul is or where their heart is. But, but can I just say that, and I think that this is true. Someone has pointed out that, that when it's, it says when they are old, they won't depart. And that sometimes, though they may not be seeming to serve God right now or they're going through a troubled time, but, but be assured that those things that you planted in those early years will come to pass in the older years. And I believe there's many young people out there yet that are still coming to the Lord. They're still coming to the Lord. It, it's, sometimes it's a tough journey and it, it just wears us out his parents but but god bless you hang in there i believe that promise from the lord uh for for everyone that has a child that's not really serving the lord right now amen i believe fathers have a key role in all of this a huge role and are ultimately responsible in the household for leading their children into the things of God. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. We tend to focus on that part. So let's just erase that part. Fathers, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. It's no accident that in the church and in many circles, men are the wimps spiritually of their household. That's another work of the enemy. They, they, they end up backing off from responsibility in these areas, and mom usually picks it up. Listen, if you're a guy or you're, you know, maybe you, you're, you got kids, let's step in. It's time for you to lead in that area and bring your kids up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. Ron and I have gotten this place in life now. All of our kids are out of the house, empty nest. The kids are having grandkids. You know, I kind of, I, I don't think I ever said it right out loud, but I kind of in my mind thought, this is great. <laughs> We're done. You know what I'm saying? We are done. And it was hard work, but woo, we're on the other side now, just all the fun stuff. And I was, I was thinking about that this week, and the Lord pointed a verse out to me. I guess I'd never read it before. I probably read it, but I just skipped it because I didn't want to deal with it. But in Deuteronomy 4, 9 and 10, it says this, Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so you do not forget the things that your eyes have seen or let them fade from your hearts as long as you live. Teach them to your children. Woo, I did that. And to your children after them. Oh, so we're not done, apparently. We got, yeah. I think Rhonda probably figured that out. I was, I was the one who was skating pretty much at that point. But your, your grandpa or grandma now, we're Nani and Papa, okay? Whatever name, doesn't matter. But you are, your children after them are still our responsibility. In fact, do you know that the Proverbs says that when you leave your inheritance, that you're to leave it to your children's children? So I told all my kids, forget it. None of you are getting anything but your kids. If there's anything left, they're getting it. There you go. This idea of grandparents is shown powerfully in a young man in the New Testament. who comes. He becomes a pastor. His name's Timothy. Two books are written to him by Paul. And in 2 Timothy 1.5, Paul says this, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois. I like Lois. She's good. She was a great nanny. 
and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. There's this heritage from grandmother Lois to Eunice and now to Timothy. Now, we're not sure where Timothy's dad was in his life. Perhaps he died. Perhaps he ran off with another one. We don't know. But the fact is that his dad was not apparently in his life. That does not mean that mom and grandma get a pass. And they did the right thing, and they did such a great job that this young man grows up and becomes passionate for the things of God, becomes a pastor in, in uh, Asia, and he, he does great things for God. And then Paul later on in that same book, in uh, chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, or 15, 14, 15, says this to him, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know from whom you learned it. Talking about mom and grandma again. And how from infancy, come on, catch that. From infancy, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Are you catching this? From infancy. You know, when you have that baby in your, in your, uh, inside, in your womb, moms, uh, are you singing to that baby? Are you reading Scripture to that baby from the time they're inside? Believe me, there's stuff going on there. They know, they know scientifically that children can react to outside stimuli at a very early time in the womb. But I want you to think about how spiritually they can also react to what you're doing. Are you praying for them, mom and dad? Are you, are you singing over them? Are you quoting the scripture to them? And then from infancy, just as they're being born into the world, just keeping it bathed around them all the time. Teach them to love God. Teach them to love the church. Teach them to love being involved in the things of God in life. In Jesus' name, amen? Worship team, come on back up. Some might be here today and think uh, like Eli, you've gotten too old or you missed your chance to raise your kids right. I already messed up. They're, they're out of the house. Well, I, don't give up, first of all. But also, I just want to say, you know, parents don't always get it right. We don't. Sometimes we, we inadvertently teach our sons to be scared of butterflies, and that's weird right there. That's just, right? We don't always get it right. But, but if you're still parenting or even grandparenting, keep at it. If you still have baggage from how you were raised, know that you are filled with abilities and potential because Christ is in you. Yeah, deal with your baggage, but don't, don't pile the baggage on to your kids or grandkids, right? Help them to be free from that stuff. Years ago, I was speaking with a friend who's a pastor, and, and uh, his church wasn't doing well and struggling, and, and uh, he was just kind of commiserating and going through all this stuff. And I said, well, listen, I said, don't give up hope because you don't know who's sitting out there. Who's, who's in, who, who is the next person that you'll touch in your life? You don't know the eternal scheme of things that God is working out. I want to ask you a question today. Anybody ever heard of a guy named Edward Kimball, the shoe salesman? Raise your hand if you've ever heard of Edward Kimball. Well, good. That works with my illustration that nobody knows him. <laughs> Let me tell you about him. He wanted to be a witness for Christ. This is back in the 1800s. And he was a shoe salesman, and, and so where he thought about his life like we all ought to think about our lives is that, yeah, I'm a shoe salesman, but that's only secondary to I'm a child of the king, and I'm in the king's business. I'm an ambassador for Christ. And he was so thankful that he had his own salvation. He wanted to share with everybody. And, uh, and so he, he, he wanted to share Christ with people as he was given opportunity, even at work. And so he, he shared... Um, he sh uh, excuse me, he, he shared with another young man named Dwight. And he, he asked him to come to Christ, but, but then he ended up leaving the store thinking he had botched the job. And so Dwight goes on and uh, 
eventually does give his heart to Christ because of the witness of uh, Mr. Kimball. He gives his life to Christ. And uh, he, he eventually, and his name is Dwight Moody, and I don't know if you've ever heard of Moody, but that's a big name in the church. That's a big deal because he's he, Moody Bible College or Institute and uh, all around maybe Illinois area. It's huge how much influence Dwight Moody had. But, but that goes on, and he became one of the most prominent evangelists in America. And in 1873, Moody went to England for some crusades and met a man by the name of F.B. Meyer. You may not have heard of him, but, but Meyer is a well-known scholar, I mean, amazing scholar and uh, also preacher. But he invited him to come to America to preach. So he challenged, Meyer got up and challenged the crowds. He said, he said, if you're willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to, if you're not willing to do that, are you willing to be made willing, is the way he would preach. And that remark changed the life of a man by the name of J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman became a powerful evangelist himself, and, and as he began to do uh, crusades and stuff, he wanted to get like a big-name star to be going around with him. So he recruited a guy by the name of Billy Sunday. How many have ever heard of him? Well, Billy Sunday was a baseball player, but he was also a very, uh, very intense Christian and became a preacher himself, an evangelist himself. And Billy Sunday was a very well-known evangelist in the early 1900s. And, and so he was having these meetings in Charlotte, North Carolina. They were so powerful, they left behind a group of converts that prayed together for a great revival and great move of God. And they invited a guest speaker to their group named Mordecai Ham, some other guy, don't know. But it was in that crusade that a young man by the name of Billy Graham gave his life to Jesus. And Edward Kimball thought he had botched the job of witnessing. Are you, are you seeing this? Dwight Moody, F.B. Meyer, Billy Sunday, Billy Graham, all these other guys, all influencing the Lord because one guy was willing to share his faith. These are the names of some of the greatest ministers and scholars and evangelists of the past 150 years. And so I, it's like I told my friend, how do you know who's hearing your message today? How do you know who's listening today? How do you know who we're reaching for Christ? And we, we as a church, we as parents, we might be reaching the next Samuel in Kids Praise or in Awana. Or, or we might be reaching the next Billy Graham in Reach. Aaron we might, and, and Brent and Rachel. We, we don't know. Aaron. Where's Aaron? All of our, we got amazing people working in all these places. Never get the idea that raising children or working with children or youth is unimportant or insignificant. Never get that idea. There's always great potential, great significance. Thank you for listening to Praise Center Sermon of the Week. Don't forget, for more information, visit PraiseCenterOnline.com.